0: Now, turning your Bibles to the book of Ruth, our congregation's been uh, going through this, a study of this little book. Uh, we went through the book of Judges last year, and so uh, Ruth takes place in the context of the times of the Judges, which were, were not good times, where everyone was doing, was doing what was right in his own eyes. Uh, so now, uh, in our little book of Ruth, we've seen how this one family uh, left the promised land to escape a famine. And then while they were in Moab, uh, the father of the family died. The two sons died. and So the widow returned with one of her uh, daughters-in-law. So they've returned to the area of Bethlehem back in the promised land, uh, very much destitute and desperate. And so we saw last time how uh, Ruth, the, the daughter-in-law of Naomi went out into the field, took advantage of uh, Jewish law that allowed for poor people to glean in the field, to pick up the grain after the harvesters. And that's uh, what she's done. And uh, so now we pick up the reading. Uh, Ruth, if you'll remember, ended up in a very uh, prominent man's field. And this man, Boaz, Uh, Happens to be a relative of Naomi's. So we'll pick up with uh, Ruth chapter 3 and we'll read the first nine verses. This is God's word. Then Naomi, her mother in law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Now, Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore wash yourself and anoint yourself and put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall go in, uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly, uncovering his feet, and lay down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself, and there a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, Who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth. Your maidservant, take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. And there will end the reading of God's word. May he bless it to us this morning. I know I left that on a cliffhanger. What is going to happen? Don't read ahead. Come back next week and you can find out. A number of years ago we had a speaker come to a a little seminar on marriage and uh, he started out by saying uh, it'd be great to know uh, God's plan for forming families. Uh, How does a husband and a wife find each other? And uh, he said if we want to go by God's plan there's a lot of interesting options in the Bible. There's a taking a woman out of uh, the body part of a man. There's uh, finding out which woman will water your camels uh, when you take them. Uh, There's working seven years. uh, Well, no, make that 14 years uh, to get the woman that you're hoping to marry and getting another woman along the way. And then there's this example here, uh, finding a woman sleeping uh, at your feet in the middle of the night. And so his point was sort of, it's a little difficult to say there's one way uh, that God brings <laughs> husbands and wives together. But we know this really isn't about how families form. This is about how a young woman seeks uh, the protection of the Redeemer. And so it has application to all of us. And what we see here is that she has to understand what her need is, and she also has to be willing uh, to seek the Redeemer. And uh, unfortunately, seeking the Redeemer, seeking the Lord Jesus Christ, is often a lot more difficult for us than it should be. And uh, we seem reluctant in different ways to come to Him and to seek His help uh, when we need it. I'm just speaking uh, with John Peterson about the Mercy Committee, and one of the challenges the Mercy Committee, that's within our church, helping folks with needs in our church is is the people with needs to be willing to say, yes, I have needs and I'm willing to have you help me fulfill them. Because uh, all of us want to be self-sufficient. There's a a desire for us to take care of ourselves and certainly as we age and things become more difficult, it's hard for us sometimes to admit that we need extra help. Uh, Sometimes we're just too busy Uh, to seek the Lord's help as we might. We're too distracted with the cares of life. Uh, Sometimes I think people are even fearful, thinking about the particular struggles that we're having and whether uh, I can bring these to the Lord or not. Uh, After all, I've been struggling with the same sin for so long. And what we see in this passage is many obstacles to Ruth seeking the Redeemer, and yet she overcomes them to come to him and to seek him. And this is an encouragement for you and for me that we all need to boldly, boldly seek Jesus Christ, the great Redeemer. And we can do that with confidence because we know he is God's provision for us. And we'll see how that comes out as we look at the passage. And children, if you wanna draw me a picture, I've been enjoying your pictures and this time maybe draw uh, Ruth lying down at the feet of this man, Boaz, and uh, listen for what we learn about that. Well, there is an outline in the bulletin if you'd like to follow along. The first thing I want us to see is that you and I must come to the Redeemer. Uh, So as we've said, Ruth and Naomi have come back uh, from Moab, and as Naomi said, I went out full, I came back empty. And they really are in, in a very difficult financial situation as two widows. Um, We said last time that that Ruth takes advantage of the uh, Jewish law that allowed for gleaning. So she goes out, she's industrious, she works hard gathering uh, the the grain that's fallen to the ground. And as we said, uh, the text said she just happened, we know God was directing this to find herself in the field of this man, Boaz, a wealthy man, a kindly man who notices her and helps her out. So she comes back to her mother-in-law with a significant amount of grain. And so the mother-in-law sees that God is is up to something here. But um, all this is done is provided for their most immediate need, their need for food. And we've we've talked about this greater need, uh, the family land, their possession in the promised land. They have no way of securing that and holding on to it. And in addition to that, the family name is about to expire. There are no uh, descendants coming up. There's no hope. Uh, for keeping the the family line going, and so it looks like this family is teetering on the brink of extinction. And so it's in that context that Naomi says in verse one, "My daughter, shall I not seek security?" That same word could be translated rest. May I not seek rest uh, for you? And so Naomi knows that you know gleaning is keeping them alive. Uh, the end of chapter two says she gleans through the couple of months that would have been the barley harvest and then the wheat harvest after that, and that certainly can keep them alive, but that's no lifestyle, that's no permanent solution to her need for rest. And so really what she's saying is she wants to see her married, she wants to see her cared for, she wants to see her in a secure situation. Now last time we talked about this special um, type of person in a family called the kinsman redeemer. Do any of you children remember what was the Hebrew word for the kinsman redeemer? Anyone remember that? That's a tough question, isn't it? We don't often ask for Hebrew words, but anyone remember what the word was? It was was Goel. Somebody may be whispering it back there. Goel is the kinsman redeemer. And what were the jobs of the kinsman redeemer? This is a relative of the family who's in a position to come along and to help the family. And that could mean uh, purchasing back land that had been lost It could mean buying a person out of slavery. It could mean avenging a death in the family, or it could even mean raising up uh, offspring for that family, for the dead relative. And so this is who uh, Boaz has the potential to be, and Naomi recognizes that. And so this is why Naomi wants to send Ruth out with what seems to us a very strange scheme, uh, and so this is described for us in verses two to four in the text. And so what she points out is that they're now at a point where they're, um, they've harvested all the grain and now they're winnowing it. So this would be they've gone to a flat area uh, where the grain is laid out. It's trampled. It's beaten down either by animals or by servants and then they're going to take these long sort of pitchforky like things and throw the grain up in the air and as the wind comes in uh, through that land off the Mediterranean Sea and goes through it blows all the lighter chaff away the the waste and then the heavier grain falls to the ground and so you just do this again and again and again until you have Uh, pure grain left at the bottom of this and so when they have this large pile of grain uh, now their work is done and they celebrate that they eat they drink that we read about this they have a feast and it's not uncommon while this is going on for the men to actually sleep out of the out of the village by their grain they're not going to go into the village and leave all that grain just sitting there hoping that Nobody steals it or animals don't come and eat it or whatever, so they're all sleeping out there and they're celebrating it. So this is the situation that Naomi's saying, Ruth needs to go into this situation and she needs to uh, see where he lies down and to put the blanket off of his feet and then just to lay there and wait for instructions. uh, In verse five, do whatever he tells you. Uh, So the commentators, you can imagine, have a field day with this. Like, what is going on? Is this an example of Naomi, you know, trying to force the issue and create a situation where um, this woman is forcing herself on Boaz and he doesn't have much of a choice? Or is this an example of Naomi being willing to do evil in order to achieve a good end? Is she saying, in essence, to Ruth, go there at night, offer yourself and, you know, do whatever he's Do whatever you have to do uh, and see what comes of it. And so uh, commentators have all kinds of theories. Another idea is that she's encouraging Ruth to do what Ruth needs to do given this situation. And it is interesting. We don't know this for sure. But if a family was in need of redemption, whose job was it to ask if they wanted redeeming? And you could see how it might be such that the onus would be on those in need to go and ask for redemption because you have a situation that could be rife for abuse, right? That if, if, uh, if a, a person with money an older uh, man with money wanted to take advantage of a younger woman in a difficult situation or even an older woman in a difficult situation. Uh, there, there's a real power imbalance there. And so going and redeeming someone who doesn't necessarily want to be redeemed might not be the way it works. And it might, it's quite likely that the party needing redemption would have to make that known uh, to the family member who's a redeemer before he would insert himself into this situation, and I think that's probably what's going on, and so what Naomi is doing is telling her, you've gotta go, and you've got to ask. And and I think that's important for us to realize, because the same is true in terms of our approaching our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we need to ask. We, We come to him asking for his mercy. Uh, If we're already believers, we we come to him asking for his grace day by day to sustain us and to help us with the particular challenges that we face. In James 4, verse 2, uh, they're the believers, they're believers now, and, and they're sort of chastised. He says to them, you do not have because you do not ask. He's talking about their unwillingness to ask God for what they need. I put on your outline an excerpt from C.S. Lewis's The Magician's Nephew, which captures this idea well. And there you have uh, the the protagonists are in Narnia, and Diggory says, well, I do think someone might have arranged about our meals. And then uh, the horse, Fledge, says, I'm sure Aslan would have if you'd asked him. And then Polly says, wouldn't he know without being asked? And then the horse says, I have no doubt he would, says the horse, still with his mouth full. But I have a sort of idea he likes to be asked. And uh, that's, of course, Lewis trying to remind us the same is true of our God. We can sort of assume, well, God knows what I need and it's his job to supply it. But God likes us to ask is an expression of our need and our understanding. And so what we see here is Ruth asking. And it's a reminder that you must ask. Children, growing up in the church and knowing a lot about Jesus is not the same thing as having a relationship with Jesus. Sammy just said this to us a few minutes ago. You you can know all about this. But if you don't have a relationship of Jesus, if you don't come to Jesus... uh, You don't really have spiritual life. And that's what this text is reminding us. Yes, we understand we can't come to him unless he enables us, but we have to come to him. Sadly, a lot of times we're reluctant to come to him. And that's what we see secondly here in this text is that coming to the Redeemer requires overcoming some serious barriers. I don't know if you've seen the Land Rover commercial. Uh, where they, uh, they back the SUVs and park them on the edge of a cliff. And um, it's always fascinating because even in commercials like that, they, there's, the, there's the text down there that says, now don't try this at home. And uh, it turns out that in Great Britain, those commercials were actually, uh, they had to take them off the air because apparently they were worried people were literally gonna try to back their SUV onto the edge of a cliff and stop it. And most of us, Don't try crazy things like that at home. And so uh, young women, just in case there's any doubt, uh, this is not what we want you to do. We are not presenting this text here with Ruth going in the middle of the night and laying down on his feet as something that we imitate in terms of its specifics. This is about how to approach the Redeemer. This is not something we try at home. And notice what Ruth has to overcome in order to do this. The first one is a fear for her physical safety. Uh, It's a lot of trust in Boaz, first of all, but then going at night to the threshing floor where all these men are uh, eating and drinking and celebrating would have been very dangerous. And remember, this is happening in the days of the judges. Just go back and read the last couple of chapters of Judges and get a feel for what the, the culture was like in those days. In addition to her physical safety, Ruth is risking her reputation, of course. If she's found there at night, this could be very damaging for her reputation, and if anything bad happens to her, she's not going to get any sympathy for it. She's also risking uh, humiliation and rejecting. What if she comes to Boaz and and asks for his help, and he says no? Uh, Then then that could be devastating uh, to her, and obviously she's taking a risk. In addition, she has to overcome her pride. Uh, There's a pride that says, well, I don't want to bother him. Um, There's a pride that doesn't recognize our need, and uh, she has to overcome all of that to come down and basically to be a supplicant before him, to to lie down at his feet and uh, obviously making herself very vulnerable to do that. And of course Ruth faces these huge barriers in coming to the Redeemer and those are also obstacles that you and I face in terms of coming to Christ and seeking his grace and his help. Now hopefully you don't fear for your physical safety but certainly there are people who do fear for their physical safety if they come to Christ and seek him as their Redeemer. And even in America, there are cases where women, Muslim women who convert uh, the, the, the male family members. It is, it is a part of the honor code uh, that they punish. Um, they punish those, uh, those younger family members who would come, uh, come to Christ. And, and certainly all around the world, there are people that literally risk their physical safety to come to Christ. But certainly people in this country uh, take other risks. They risk their reputations. Uh, to come to Christ. I don't think there's any department over on the campus where your status is going to be increased and elevated if you become a Christian and you let people know about that, right? That, that's not what's going to happen over there. And that's, and that's true in a lot of segments of our society. Uh, so there's a risk uh, to coming to Christ. There's also the risk uh, of rejection. Certainly Christ isn't going to re- reject you, but uh, the people that, uh, that you're associated with may reject you, and, and we, we've, we've worked with people in the church who've come out of situations, and you ask them, you know, how's it going as you're learning about what it means to be a Christian? Uh, how's it going with your friends? And, and we've had people say, well, it's not going really great uh, because they think I'm crazy, and, uh, and it's really, it's really put a, a damper on my relationships. And so there are legitimate challenges. And of course, for every one of us, our own pride and our own desire to be self-sufficient stands in our way for us acknowledging our sin and coming to Christ when we're, when we're not saved. But then once we're in a relationship with Christ, to keep coming to him day by day, putting our, our uh, cares before him and recognizing our weakness and our need for help. So we recognize just like Ruth, there are many obstacles, there are many barriers for us to come uh, to the Redeemer. Well, we see thirdly here that a certain amount of boldness is needed to approach the Redeemer. Now we don't know exactly how much time's passed, but the way chapter two ends, it talks about Ruth staying in the field, gleaning throughout all the rest of the harvest. This is a couple of months. Uh, So it's quite possible some significant time has passed and certainly, no progress has happened in this relationship with Boaz. So, so uh, you know, there could be some real doubt as to how well this proposal might go. Uh, Naomi, though, Naomi seems to have come back to life. We talked last uh, uh, in the last sermon about how her seemingly inability to do anything. Uh, now she's planning, now she has an idea, and, and so let's talk a little bit about what's behind this elaborate plan with Ruth going uh, to the floor, uh, to the threshing floor and doing all this. And notice, Ruth hears the plan in verse 5 and says, all that you say I will do, and then starting in verse 6, she, she does do it. And, and so the genius of the plan is that Naomi is trying to get Ruth and Boaz together in private. And you realize how difficult that would have been to do because Boaz is a landowner, a very public man. He's never alone. There's no way she can go knock on his door at his house or go try to talk to him in the field without other people being around. So how can she get alone with Boaz so that she can have this conversation? So Boaz is free uh, to turn her down. It's not some kind of a force the issue situation. But also, if he does turn her down, that Ruth is able uh, to retreat and, um, and not, not have all the shame that goes with it. Uh, so this is what's going on. And of course, she, she realizes he'll be alone. She also realizes he ought to be in a pretty good mood after eating and drinking and celebrating the harvest. So what she's doing, in effect, is just uh, pulling up the blanket so that at some point in the cool of the night, he's gonna wake up. And, uh, and then by that time, hopefully everybody else is asleep and he'll be able to talk to her uh, alone with this whispered conversation. And that seems to be exactly what happens. And so when he wakes up, he says, who are you? And notice Ruth's response in verse 9. She says, I am Ruth, your maidservant. And even that phrase uh, shows us something about Ruth. Because if you look at Uh, previously when she interacted in chapter two with Boaz uh, she describes herself as a foreigner Uh, she's she's a foreigner from a pagan land Uh, that doesn't suggest someone who would make a good partner for a Jewish landowner Uh, then she also says in chapter two she uses the word she says I'm your servant but she uses a word that really means slave girl and she's saying there, I'm not even really at the level of your slave girls and you've taken notice of me. So again, not a term associated with someone you would think about marrying. Now she's using a term when she says maidservant that's as much more like a maiden. And it's a term that implies uh, she's a woman who's eligible to be married. And probably when, when Naomi tells her to change her garments, and to uh, to freshen herself up and to put on the perfume, probably what she's telling her is you've got to put away your mourning clothes. And and you've got to make it clear that you are eligible to be married now. And this is what she's doing. And so, this is what she then says at the end of verse 9. Take your maidservant under your wing for you are a close relative. Okay, so... That's a strange one. What does that actually mean? So it's clear for everybody, she is asking him to marry her. Okay, that, that would be unambiguous. It may, we can pretend like it's, well, what does that actually mean? In that culture, that was a proposal. That was, in essence, a marriage proposal. Uh, I gave you an example from Ezekiel 16, 8, where God uses this language as well. He says, when I passed by you again and looked upon you, he's saying this to his people, Indeed, your time was the time of love, so I spread my wing over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine, says the Lord God. Now, God's using marriage as a metaphor for his relationship with his people, but that's the language of marriage, and so this is where security and rest is found. Again, that's what Naomi is seeking for her, and so just like the mother hen is putting her wing over her chicks, this is a picture of security, of safety, of protection, and and, and really in a powerful way, Ruth is using the language of chapter 2, verse 12. Look back there, and, and there Boaz commends her. Boaz says to her, the Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. And and so what she's doing here is saying, yes, I've come under the wings of God for refuge. And this is how I'm seeking refuge from God, by going through the law and seeking the kinsman redeemer. That's why I'm coming to you, asking for you to be the means whereby God protects me and God covers me. And so we have her making what we would think is a pretty outrageous and incredible request here of Boaz. Some of, some of you know my, my mother just uh, recently retired from doing property management work, which she did for over 40 years into her 80s. And uh, my mom would do plumbing, electrical work, uh, drywall, woodwork. She would change appliances, fix sump pumps, install sewage ejector systems, change water heaters, all that stuff. I mean, sometimes she had to get uh, a guide, to, to one of her sons, to lift something for her, you know, but she did all the difficult work. And we might say, how in the world did she know how to do all those things? Well. Her her father was a plumbing contractor. She did learn some things when she was growing up. But she will tell you almost everything that she learned how to do, she learned because she asked. She was absolutely fearless. And so, over the years, she developed friendships with plumbing contractor, with electricians, and she would call them or go into their shop, sometimes holding a part of something, and say, you know, this isn't working, what should I do? And, uh, and they would tell her, and then she would go and do it. And uh, she tried not to make herself obnoxious. She tried not to act like, well, you, you owe it to me to give me this answer. She would humbly come to them and ask for help. But you see how that requires a certain level of boldness that many of us lack. And think about then how great is the boldness of Ruth who is from Moab, who's a recent convert uh, to the God of Israel to come into this community and come to this man, a leading citizen in this community and ask him to marry her. But that is exactly what she is doing and it's, it's amazingly refreshing. I mean, we realize if this plan goes sideways, it could really go badly for Naomi and for Ruth. But she's willing to humbly come before him to make herself vulnerable and to seek help uh, for her burdens. And this is exactly what we have to be able to do. There's a certain level of boldness that's required to come and to seek the help of the Redeemer. But we must do it. And recognize, fourthly, that this boldness in seeking the Redeemer comes from understanding the sovereignty of God. Because I know many of you are uncomfortable already with what I'm saying. You're sitting there saying, no, no, no. You're giving Ruth and Naomi way too much credit. You're emphasizing human initiative way too much. We believe in the sovereignty of God. We're reformed. We got it on the building out there, right? Uh, Like Aaron is saying uh, about the PCA, that, that we believe in the sovereignty of God. Um, but I want you to remember we don't believe in the sovereignty of God to the exclusion of human responsibility and, the, and a role for human initiative, um, a human agency. I put in your outline a quote from Westminster um, um, Confession of Faith, chapter 3, paragraph 1, which says, God from all eternity did by his most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass, yet so as thereby neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures, nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. And if you want me to translate that into more modern English, it's all God's plan, it's all God's work, but he works out his plan through the free actions of human beings and other second causes. He uses means to accomplish his plans. Both things are true. God is really running every detail of the universe and human beings are really making decisions and taking actions that matter as God uses them and directs them. And so this is why Jesus says in John 6:44, "No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him." It's impossible for anyone to come to Christ without God's work. But then also in John 6:37, "All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out." No one can come. Every single one of them will come. That's what it says. Why will they come? Because God's drawing them. But when they come, I will receive them. And they will uh, genuinely come. It's a wonderful picture of how both of these things are true. And it reminds us that what, what is standing behind this whole plan of Naomi is confidence that God has already started to work by providing this man a kinsman redeemer of the family and she says back in chapter 2 verse 20 blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. She sees the sovereign hand of God at work and that's why she's confident enough to go forward with this plan which seems to be very risky and problematic. Uh, Quoting from Paul Miller He says about this, there's not a hint of passivity in the three main characters. God's sovereignty doesn't freeze them. It gives them courage to be daring. And I think that's a really helpful concept for us. When parents in our church come and present an infant child for baptism, uh, you might say, And I'm sure our Baptist brethren would say that's a bit of a bold step that you're actually going to go ahead and baptize an infant when you don't know anything about what's going to happen and and whether that infant's uh, going to be, in fact, a professing believer or not. And yet the parents come and they make these promises that they're going to raise the child in the Lord, that they're going to teach the child of, of his or her sinful nature and the need for a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, that they're going to encourage that the child professes his or her faith and comes to become a communicant member of the church. And above all, they take the parents, that final vow that says we make these commitments in humble reliance upon God and his grace. And so do you see how if we... Presented our children and then just went away and let them do their own thing and said, well, I trust in God. I'm in a reformed church. God will take care of it. That would not be faith. That would be presumption. That would be presuming upon the grace of God. But the parents come before God and said, say, with your help, I'm gonna do the best I can. But the only reason it makes any sense to do that is because you do believe in the sovereignty of God. That God is the one who changes hearts. God is the one who calls people to faith. And so the the baptizing of an infant is, is is a perfect picture of expressing this humble boldness that recognizes it's all about what God's doing. It's not about what we're doing. But thank God he works through means. We trust him to work as we, as we uh, raise our kids in the Lord. And so boldness in seeking the Redeemer, does not it's not hindered by our understanding of God's sovereignty. It's enhanced by it. it God's sovereignty and God's work enables us to be bold uh, before the Lord and to come to him. And so finally, this leads us to our fifth observation here, that we are to come to Jesus, the Redeemer, knowing that he is, in fact, God's provision for you. Why is Naomi willing uh, to send Ruth into this perilous situation uh, and and to simply say, well, just do what he says? Um, Well, at the end of the day, it's because she trusts God. And she believes God is working through this man in particular. And notice, this is the man who is their relative, who's already taken notice of Ruth, who has already been very kind to Ruth. And so she's already seen the love of this man going out to this poor woman, Ruth. And so she has every hope uh, that he is, in fact, the one that God has ordained to be the redeemer for this family. And similarly, it's Jesus' love that's already gone out to you that gives you confidence that he is the redeemer that God has sent for you. And that's what enables you to come boldly to him, to seek help. I put in your outline Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, and there we're told we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Why can we go boldly to our Savior for help? We can do it because he's already come to us. He's already come into the world, lived a life of faith, he knows what suffering is. He knows what temptation is. He knows what sin is in the world. And he's experienced all of that in our place. He's made himself vulnerable for us. He's, allowed, he's made himself subject uh, to all kinds of horrible suffering and the evil of this world for us. And he's lived perfectly for us. And because he's done that, he can tell you, come boldly to me seeking help and this this is the message this morning it's really very simple come to jesus put your faith in the lord jesus if you have never done that before put your faith in the lord jesus it's not enough it wasn't enough for ruth to know about the kinsman redeemer law it wasn't even enough for ruth to know that boaz was potentially a kinsman redeemer ruth had to come to boaz and to ask for redemption and if you're here this morning and you've never come to christ and asked him to be your savior to forgive your sins to give you new life you need to do that the head knowledge is not enough but if you are a christian this morning You need to recognize you need every day to be living your life dependent upon your Redeemer, coming to him again and again, not to save you, you're one of his children, but to give you the grace you need to deal with the challenges. This is why Jesus says, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. That is Jesus' promise to you. Come to him, come to him. And come to him boldly. Now, there's a wonderful story, and there's many of them actually, in the New Testament, one of them about a Canaanite woman who had a daughter who was possessed by a demon, and she came to Jesus and said, "Lord, help my daughter." And, and the, the disciples just brushed her off, and she kept crying out for help. And you know what Jesus said to her? He said, "It's not right to give the children's bread to the dogs. That's what Jesus said to that woman. Jesus came for the lost sheep of Israel and this Canaanite woman wasn't one of them. And what did she say back to Jesus? Yes, Lord, but even the little dogs eat the crumbs at their master's table. You realize what she said? You are absolutely right. I am a dog. But I still need the only Redeemer of mankind, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, your faith is great and I will heal your daughter. That's boldness in coming to the Redeemer. A boldness that recognizes your need, who you are as a needy person and is willing to make yourself vulnerable and says to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are the only one who can do do for me what I need. Boldly seek Jesus Christ. He is the great redeemer and he is the one that God provides for you. Let's pray and let's give him thanks. Heavenly Father, we do confess that there are times when our pride, our desire to be self-sufficient keeps us from coming to you, keeps us from seeking you and for asking for the help that we need. And whether that's dealing with a difficult situation in our life, whether that's dealing with sin that we're struggling with, whether that's coming to you for the first time and recognizing that we're lost apart from you, Lord, how we pray that you would help us to see the love that Jesus has already showed toward us in coming and living and dying in our place. Uh, Let that remind us that he is your provision for our salvation. We pray that you would give us the grace we need to boldly come before you, seeking your help, not in presumption, but in faith, that you are the one who loves us and you are the one who is willing to help us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And now we'll sing back our praise to the Lord from Psalm 27C. And this is a beautiful expression of this hope, this desire to seek the Lord. Even if, even if we've lost everything in the world, we're still going to seek the Lord and trust in him. Oh, hear my voice, Lord, when I cry and answer me in grace. You said, seek my face. And my heart said, Lord, I will seek your face. That's our commitment to seek the Lord. And he goes on to say in the 11th stanza, my father and my mother um, both may leave me all alone, but surely then the Lord himself will take me as his own. It's just another way to say I, I can lose everything in this world but I still have the one, my Redeemer, that I can seek. Uh, let's stand and sing our prayer.